0: looking for a podcast about agriculture, one that can increase your farm's profitability all without putting you to sleep. To sleep. Welcome to Field Trials Unleashed. We're experts in testing different farming practices and products. We test it and then report back to real skinny. This is Field Trials Unleashed and here are your hosts, Craig Bloemker and Eric Beckett.
1: Welcome to another episode of Field Trials Unleashed. I'm Craig, and I'm Eric. Man, Craig, that was quite the intro we've got now. Yeah, well, we took
2: back some of the feedback we had from the you know the first episode and and working on it. So uh, hopefully the sound quality is a little bit better as well. We've kind of worked on the the little room that we're recording in, and then yeah, we got uh, we got a new intro. So. Hopefully we can live up to it because it says we're not going to put you to
1: sleep. I like it. Well, how was your week last week, Eric? It was kind of cold and rainy. I I don't think it was quite the week you had, though. No, it was not. I uh, yeah,
2: I was down in Florida and unfortunately left, <laughs> left you guys for sunshine and it did rain the entire time I was gone, I think. so.
1: Pretty much. And some ice in there, too
2: yeah i saw pictures my in-laws sent to me so uh let's go ahead and dive in we said last episode we were going to talk about starters so uh you know i think of starters hence the name it's going to give a start to your crop and you know most notably on corn i think is primarily where everybody's looking at but let's talk about if you're just getting into starters kind of a low level look at it
1: yeah definitely so i mean traditionally um you know starters fertilizer probably started as a dry fertilizer on those dry fertilizer boxes on planters. But today we're not going to not, we're not going to talk about the dry fertilizers. We're going to talk about the new and improved liquid fertilizers that we have out on the market today. And uh, particularly uh, there will probably be, there's going to be two main products we're going to focus on the corn side. One or two products maybe we'll focus with on soybeans. But, and then, you know, with all that we probably need to talk about the do's and don'ts a little bit of starter fertilizers before we really get into the products.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, again, like I said, starter, uh, I think is, you know, and we're pushing the planting dates more and more every year. We see it, especially on beans, but uh, everybody starts to get anxious at this time of year. And it's the reason we're talking about this now. But uh, we're probably going into some pretty unfavorable, environments for most seed applications. And I think that's probably where it's best suited is when we got, you know, some cold, wet environments.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, I, you know, when we sometimes start fertilizers, they get a bad rap that, you know, sometimes there's some inconsistent data that they don't always perform as well as maybe is intended. And that, you know, some of the, you know, research, university research that's been done in this area, and even some of the manufacturers, you know, we'll also tell you that, you know, starter fertilizers is inconsistent at best in this area. And we're kind of, today we want to kind of debunk some of those theories and some of that research. But really, I think it has to go with, you know, a lot of it is, you know, the the placement of the starter fertilizer are, and, and the rates. Are the rates match the the application equipment? So, you know, if we're going, as we move further away from that seed, we need higher rates. But as we're more concentrated in that seed planting zone, we can we can back off the rates and still have the same, you know, effects as maybe some of those higher rates of starter fertilizer in like a two by two or even a two by two by two system. That's a lot of twos in there. That's a
2: lot of twos there, yeah.
1: But anyways, so you know that that's what we're kind of what we're looking at here today. Um, well, tell a little bit about the watch outs.
2: I mean, you, you mentioned backing the rate down. I'm kind of jumping a little bit ahead here on the don'ts, maybe, but you know, go ahead and tell why we want to lower the rates when we're talking in-furrow application.
1: So the main thing that we're looking for in furrow is is salt. Um, we don't want a high salt content around that seed, and um, soybeans are definitely going to be a lot more sensitive than what corn is. But basically, if those salts sit in that in that seed transfer and in that seed zone for too long, it, the salts can actually dry out that seed and inhibit germination, which at ultimately at the end of the day is going to kill that seed and it's going going to reduce stands. Uh, could be significantly. If, uh, if we have prolonged of unfavorable uh, weather conditions. And when I say unfavorable weather conditions, I'm talking about a cool, dry planting conditions that typically here in East Central Illinois, we don't have that problem. We're usually the other way where it's cold and wet. Too wet. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So with, you know, with the usually the, the expected moisture we have during the grow, or an early growing season in this part of the world is that, you know, most times those those salts are naturally going to be able to be leached out of the soil profile and are not going to be a concern. But but they are still always a concern because, it's, you know, most all fertilizer sources by nature are salty to some effect.
2: You know, the other reason I think that we when jump back into why we use the starters ahead is that, uh, you know, we talked about the cold, wet environments, but uh, um, early planting. But, you know, what about corn on corn situation, like no-till? I mean, I, I think that's another
1: yeah. So, you know, anytime, you know, we add another stress or a stress event to that, to that crop, whether it be corn or soybeans, that is a yield penalty, so to speak. And so if we can, you know, anything we can do to over overcome those uh, yield penalties, especially that, you know, we're all familiar with that you, that you typically see with a corn on corn situation, it's going to help overcome those, those challenging conditions. So, you know, definitely if you're corn on corn or no-till, you know, we're going to have more residue that we're trying to overcome and it's, it's, there is going to be some nutrients tie up in, in that corn, in that residue. So keeping those, you
2: know, maybe rougher conditions in mind, you know, for, for the person that's just getting into starters, what product would be looking at? 1034
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, 1034-0 is usually, you know, one that um, com- most people that comes to mind with um, just because, 1034 O's uh, starter fertilizers are generally going to probably be the cheapest because they are derived from from a MAP uh, dry phosphate, dry fertilizer source. So they're just basically they're cooked down and go through a refining process to be converted into a liquid fertilizer. So um, now while, um, you know, those those may be the cheapest, um, they're not always the best uh, forms of a liquid fertilizer to use for a starter uh, fertilizer. And then not all 1034 O's are going to be created equal. Um, you know, as as those 1034 O's become more refined, um, so does the flowability of those products. So um if those products are not well refined, they're gonna be very cloudy, uh, not a clear liquid. And they could also ultimately they could have some chunks or some, you know, of the the leftover products that, you know, maybe weren't all the way cooked down from that, from that uh, original map source. So those can be some watch outs that if, um, you know, if there's a really cheap source of 1034O, most likely it's not going to be a quality product. Yeah, there's a reason it's cheap, right? That's right. Cheap doesn't always mean more money in the, in the pocket.
2: So when we talk about 1034O, that's probably not a product we want to look at uh, necessarily for in I mean, I have heard of guys using reduced rates in and and not having um, problems in this area, but that's not something we typically would recommend.
1: Yeah, definitely. So if, you, if you're if you running on some of those, maybe those coarser soil types, um, you know, where, you know, if, if, if it is in dry conditions on coarser soil, those salts are going to, you know, not going to be grabbed on by the soil particles and they're just going to, you know, more or less sit there. But on the flip side, though, if, if you do have a lot of moisture and it's going to leach those salts out, that, you know, that's not going to be a concern with, with the salt aspect. Um, but, you know, what is going to be, you know, Worried about is that you know you're looking at that one to two ratio or that one to three ratio of phosphorus to nitrogen. So definitely, ten thirty four zero can definitely definitely falls into that you know that ratio or that method methodology. But you know with the phosphorus, the reason why the phosphorus is so important for a um, starter fertilizer is that phosphorus by nature does not move within the soil profile readily as some of the other nutrients like nitrogen. And then um, so the plant. Roots actively have to go out and seek phosphorus. So that's the reason why phosphorus is such a key part. And then not to mention that it's a, it's a macro element that, that's, a, that's required by all plants.
2: Yeah, and it's nice to have a little bit of a pop-up, you know, with the, the nitrogen early season. But also have to be careful on that, you know, with uh, free ammonia. You see see instances of, uh, you know, in hydrous applications, you get that Arlington effect where you've got that nice line of yellow plants essentially got nipped by the free ammonia. Um, you know, what are some other watchouts on the nitrogen aspect?
1: Yeah, so definitely. So if we're, so if a, ten, like, I just keep saying 1034O here, but, you know, I'll just keep using it. It's a good example, but 1034O is not going to be, uh, you know, we're not going to have to worry about free ammonia with, with that source. Um, but, you know, if, if guys are trying to fortify their starter fertilizer by, say, a urea, you know, urea, some type of urea-based fertilizer, uh, for instance, like UAN, um, that's going to contain, you know, part of that nitrogen is in the ammonia form. And and you could, you know, given the right soil conditions, could create f- free ammonia in that soil. So that free ammonia could definitely um, be, you know, very detrimental to that to that new emerging crop if, if those soil conditions do, you know, present themselves, it, it creates free ammonia. And then the other thing that we also want to be a watch out for, kind of a, uh, for a nitrogen source and along with sulfur, is any like ATS, you um, those thiosulfates, um, the process that it has to be converted into be plant-available form, um, some of those intermediate processes um, are, are not always seed-friendly. So we want to also avoid any products like ATS. And then also, I, I'm not aware of any, but we definitely would not want to use any type of a DAP, um 0 base product, because there, again, the form that the nitrogen is with a diammonium phosphate could also form uh, free ammonium. So those would be some big watches out for the nitrogen and and, and phosphorus sources. You
2: know, and then anybody that is listening to me regularly, I, you know, I'm always talking about boron and uh, how important that is to be including it on your operation. So a guy might be tempted to say, hey, I'm I'm playing around starters here.
1: Let's throw some boron in there. So boron, uh, just given the general nature of boron, and um, even though while it is required by all plants, some, you know, some amount of boron, uh, there is a very nor- narrow window of acceptable application range of boron. And so with that being said, um, any boron that, that is ever applied that is close to the seed or on the seed um, can have very negative effects on germination. And so th- for those reasons, we want to avoid any type of boron application around the seed.
2: You know, this is kind of jumping around just a little bit, Eric, but we talked about, you know, the, the conditions of uh, not uh, maybe starters would be detrimental being the cold and dry. But another thing I think about is, is you know, we're putting it in, say, ideal conditions for seed. You know, we're planting in ideal conditions. We've got moist soils. We've got warm temperatures. That corn crop is just ready to pop out of the ground and go. May not see the impacts of, uh, you know, the benefits of starter in that situation.
1: If we're going to have very, you know, conducive growing, you know, conditions for growing a corn crop, um, you know, those roots are going to could very quickly grow past that that nutrient band that, you know, that could be applied through a starter fertilizer. And so, if, you know, if we get into those conditions, I think that might be also where some of the, the inconsistent data has come from. If we if that if starters are applied in key, you know, ideal growing conditions, those roots just simply grow past and, you know, they're not even really able to take advantage of that narrow band of starter fertilizers, So, you know, there again, there, I think that's where some of the inconsistencies come from. Well,
2: that's, that's a great point. And I kind of liken starters to a little bit like fungicides, you know, uh, not every year is going to be a good year for fungicides. There's going to be some years where the return is pretty minimal um, break even at best. And I think we're going to see that with starters as well. Uh, not every year is going to pay out big, but I think generally we're going to have better stands, uh, a better, certainly a better looking crop. And I think it's going to pop up and it's going to look
1: nice and green. Yep. So definitely. So while we're kind of on this kind of, um, point of inconsistent, you know, data or returns from starter fertilizers, another note to note is that, um, you know, what, what form is that phosphorus in? Is it a polyphosphate? Is it an orthophosphate? Is it a blend of the two phosphates? Um, so,
2: well, explain the difference between a poly and an, an ortho. I mean, that's a question that comes up regularly. Which one do I need, or how much of each? What's the ratio?
1: Yeah, definitely. So how I kinda keep it straight of between ortho and poly, orthophosphate is going to be is in the uh, plant available form. So I think of organic, you know, organic material, kind of more plant, you know, friendly. So I kinda think of it as that way, even though, you know, it's kind of a play on words there. I get it. But that's how I kind of keep it straight. And the polyphosphate is not plant available form. So by having a blend, you know, you, one could say that having a, you know, higher ratio of, of poly to ortho, you, can, you could potentially extend that window out of your, you know, your phosphate application. So I guess maybe in a perfect world, if a guy really wanted to maximize his starter program, you would start out with, you know, using a product that was 100% ortho you know, early in that grilling season. And then as it gets out, maybe use more of a po- polyphosphate so you can extend that phosphate and, you know, allow you know more time for that phosphate to move out into the soil with soil moisture. I, I mean, that's just, you know, kind of my thinking here off the off the cuff here today. But I was going to say
2: real world application that, you know, I don't know that everybody's looking for something simple. So I don't know. Yeah, that. it probably wouldn't work. Yeah. But uh, let's talk a little more. Uh, I don't think we mentioned it earlier, but like key elements, uh, you know, we got the 10-34-0, we've established, you know, MP, and then you're likely going to have a product in there that's going to give us some potassium. But, you know, there's other elements that we need to be looking at as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I, I think to really to, com, you know, to, you know, take the most out of what you can for that starter application, some zinc and manganese for sure needs to be included in that. And uh, there's a lot of evidence suggests that when uh, zinc and manganese is applied close to the seed at, at planting, that you can have almost kind of like a fungicide effect or just, you know, increase that plant's natural abilities to uh, decrease or, you know, resist a, uh, an infection from a fungal pathogen. Uh, that, those are the, the key reason why I like the zinc and manganese around seed at time of planting. And then also um, some sulfur. Some Anytime we can get some sulfur into the system too, I think is a very good thing. Um, now, with any of these nutrients too much, is not going to be good. So they've all got to be in the right ratios, but I think as long as they're in the right ratios and the right forms um, can, you know, provide some real benefits to an early planting scenario.
2: Well, I think that's a good segue into, let's talk about specific products. You know, we've got a couple picked out. You mentioned the balanced ratio, thinking about two reputable companies in the area. uh, Marco in particular is, what, Bloomington?
1: Yep, by Bloomington.
2: So, you know, for guys that wanna pick up their own loads, uh pretty close by to go grab loads. But uh and then we got Nature's. I believe they're based over in Indiana, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yep, so correct. So the uh Marco is gonna be a local company that we've worked with and um and they all their products are a ten thirty four O base. Now I don't want anything that, you know, thus far has been said that, you know, maybe you might perceive ten thirty four O is not the, the best ideal source. But I wanna assure everybody that the 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 products that we're getting from Markle are very are very high quality 1034O products. They do an exceptional job of, of uh, manufacturing their product, and then not also and then also they just have good hygiene of all their products too. They Do a very good job of all their tank cleanouts from year to year, and uh, so they they do produce some very high, good high quality products and have done some pretty good testing along with them as well.
2: Yeah, and I could attest that as well. Uh, when I first started, we had some leftover ten thirty four oh. I don't know where it came from. Um doesn't really matter, but uh it was kind of chunky, not, apparently not a good quality. I don't again don't know where we sourced it from, but uh we went and looked at Marco and that's when I first got introduced to them and that the product came in some mini bulks, just needed a small slug of it, you know, and the product was nice, very clear, very, very nice.
1: Yeah, definitely, and then um, also then the other company that we work with, um, we've got some private labels that we can that we can source through Growmark, our uh, wholesale supplier, is the Invigoron products from Nature's, um, and these products are are going to be a 100 orthophosphate, and so they're uh, derived from some other phosphate sources that are not um, your typical dry fertilizers, so that being said they they are a premium product and they are 100% ortho so there again they from day one they are in the plant available form for the phosphate which is a nice quality that in my opinion also have in an early planting conditions
2: eric i think that was a good point about the you know 100% ortho in the nature's product and we didn't discuss that with marco well, let's go ahead and talk about the nature's products we have one for corn and then we've got one product for soybeans so we'll talk about what's in them we'll talk about the rates and then I've got some ROI data that we could interject now. These are rough and off the cuff, but should give some pretty good general ideas uh, about some return to the acre. And then then we'll jump back into the Marco product and talk about the poly to ortho ratio there and then give some ROI data on that as well. So, um, on corn product in particular in Max. So go ahead and, and let's talk about what's in it and then we'll talk about rates.
1: Yep, so definitely. So the product that we get from Nature's in max. Right? max is going to be an NP and K. There is no micros in it. So that, that is kind of a strike against that, that we would have to, um, at, you know, supply those nutrients if we wanted to get some zinc and manganese or and even some sulfur for that matter. But the nice thing about that, these products from uh, Mark or from, excuse me, from Nature's is that they're going to be very high quality products. So we can actually run a little bit lower rates if we're running in furrow, because we're going to have that kind of that use efficiency because they're going to be very clean refined products, and in the ortho, so they're you know they're the phosphate is available now to the plant, and so that's going to be a nice benefit. So assuming
2: everybody's probably thirty inch corn in this area, and we've got CCs roughly what fifteen organic matter around maybe two and a half. Um, of course, our trade territory goes. F- Fairly well south, too, so that may be lower in that area, but uh, be looking at what, five gallons?
1: Yeah, we could still most definitely run the five gallons per acre, but, you know, given some different scenarios, we could back those rates down to as, to as low as five or to the three gallon per acre rate and and still have very good uh, return on investment.
2: So on the note of ROI, let's go ahead and talk about that for the uh, Vigoron Max product in particular. Um, we've got yield data uh, over the course of, I think, from 2018 to 2019. So, you know, fairly short window there. I mean, two years data, but uh, seems to be pretty consistent in line with some other data we had from, you know, three three to five year data. So uh, it was just shy of 10 bushels, say like 9.7. So for easy math, I'm going to go ahead. We're going to run the numbers on 10 bushel. And I think $4 corn is probably pretty fair in this environment. Yeah, definitely. So we've got $40 uh, to the acre. I'll take it. Yeah, i t- yeah, I take forty. If that was the profit, that'd be even better. But yeah, uh, so but then we got a cost roughly, you know, for five gallons, uh, we've got a cost roughly oh. of twenty nine, twenty five an acre. So okay. that leaves us with a final profit of ten seventy five an acre.
1: Still not bad. Still not bad. Well, what about the Marco product? Uh, what kind of return on investment have we got there? Since we're kind of talking about return on investments.
2: Yeah. So the. Th- Three-year average on that came out to roughly 7.9 bushels, so maybe just a little less than that Invigoron Max product. Uh, it maybe has to do with the you know the poly to ortho blend. We didn't talk about that earlier, but that's a 70 to 30 blend of poly to ortho uh, coming from the Marco side. So um,
1: yeah, and and I think if I remember right from looking at the uh, data previously that. Um, I think the application methods might have been a little bit different from maybe from in-furrow versus maybe precision planting. So definitely, you know, how the products are applied within the furrow is going to, could also play a, you know, how, how these products perform.
2: Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, It just makes the starters that much more complex, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So this kind of just all goes along with the common, the common theme of our podcast is, you know, we're testing all these different variables. And when you look at, you know, different um, parties, um, research data, how they tested it, you know, that, that in itself could be a variable, you know, when you're comparing, you know, product A to product B, just how it was tested could be a variable. And so I think we've got a great example of that right here.
2: Well, and it just goes to show. I mean, that's why we're we're trying to get our hands uh, doing these trials ourselves. And I, I'm not I'm not disputing how well these trials are placed by these third party companies. That's not what I'm getting. But it's always nice to see, touch, and feel, and get get your own take on on the products, and you know, see it for yourself and for your growers. So, so going back to the, the Marco LTE product, uh, the return was a little less than the nature's, and, but uh, they were coming in around seven point nine bushels. So I figured roughly on four dollar corn, we're at thirty one sixty back. Uh, per acre, yeah, and then now the cost was a little bit less. You know, they realized that they got to compete with nature's definitely. So uh, the cost was around twenty one twenty five an acre, and for a net profit of ten thirty five an acre. So you know, roughly forty cents an acre less than what the nature. So really, really close on on return on investment for these two products in particular for corn.
1: Yep, and not to mention it's local. So I mean, if you you ran out. Mid season or something, it'd be real easy to probably get your hands on some more.
2: Well, absolutely, yeah, and you know, and that, I, that's a good point, Eric, because I these uh, these costs were actually um, based on you know the product being delivered to us and then picking it up from us. So if you were to go pick up your own product, you know, maybe a little less even. So, um, so we talked about the, both the corn products. Let's go ahead and talk about the one. You now, this was from Nature's. I don't know that we had picked out one from Marco as far as a, a bean product. I would say you probably could go ahead and use that Quick Grow LTE.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we... Bump and, the rates down a little. Yeah, definitely. We're going to want to bump the rates because that's one thing that we all got to remember about soybeans, that they are much more salt-sensitive than what corn is, and that's just due to the general nature of, of seed coat on a soybean versus to a corn. The soybean seed coat or is just not as robust as what corn is, so they're going to be much more sensitive to the salt aspect. So uh, with any starter fertilizer, you're going to want to back the rates off, and I think the... Uh, the Invigoron soy is going to be a good, um, you know, kind of representation of that. Um, if you look at the the nutrient load on the one from uh, the Invigoron soy is that they don't follow that one to two or one to three kind of ratio of, of your P and K, uh, particularly the P. And th- they are going to be uh, much lower concentration to simply avoid that salt effect.
2: Now we're going to run, what, say one and a half?
1: To, I would say, three three gallons for beans and that's pretty much
2: any of the products that we're looking at.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then also um, for application um, for most application equipment and just keep things simple math, the five gallons per acre works really nice for a starter application. So what our griller would want to do is uh, for that remaining additional, whether you run into one and a half or three is add in additional water to that, to that starter mix. And then that's also going to help the salting effect as well. So you're, you know, getting a couple of benefits there.
2: Now what about row spacing, Eric? I mean, if a guy was running, because I've got them all over the board. I've got twin rows, I've got fifteen inch rows, I've got sometimes drilled beans, thirty inch rows. Does that impact rate?
1: Um, yeah, so definitely. So I would the more one the the starter fertilizers, I'd be more concerned about you know maybe rates with on um, row spacing would maybe be the Invigoron products just because the the, the nutrient form is so readily available that um, I might be a little bit concerned there. And if, you know, if you do have a soil, you know, type that you may be concerned with, the uh, Invigorons on their labels have got some great resources on recommended rates for specific um, row placement that I'd want to refer to.
2: 30-inch rows are still pretty common, and then I think 15s after that. So maybe 30-inch row in our area, um, again, probably going to still follow in that one and a half to three, but uh, I think by label they're recommending roughly, um, uh, well, the one and a half, honestly, so...
1: Yeah, definitely. So you'd want to pay attention to that. And I, there again, it's just, it all goes to, um, you know, the nutrient loading and the salting effect of why you'd want to reduce those rates.
2: So Eric, we've, you know, we've covered uh, the do's and don'ts, I think, um, pretty well on the products. And then we, uh, you know, have highlighted a couple of products that we want to take a look at. I kind of wanted to finish this segment out with uh, on-farm discovery opportunities. I mean, hence the name of the show. We're always looking to test products and we do want real world data. So I think, you know, number one, we could take a look at testing starter rates and, you know, in particular,
1: maybe even an opportunity to do some variable rate. Definitely. So uh, while we, we get it, it may not be necessarily feasible to, you know, test product A against product B just because of, you know, making sure we had enough volume of product on hand. So where I'm kind of thinking next is, you know, maybe uh, let's, let's, you know, let's look at rates and then, um, you know, we could base those rates if like Craig mentioned on variable rate on, you know, we could always do the uh, soil organic matter. But we all know that, you know, those organic matter maps may not always be the best unless, you know, you do have some access to some like some various technology or something where you we can actually map out on, the you know, currently, you know, those organic levels without throughout the field. But the other thing I would maybe think about is maybe variable rating based on uh, yield zones. And so, you know, if we're creating an on-farm discovery project, we would want to have, you know, some static rates going all the way through the field that would be standard rates. So I'm going to say just five gallons the acre. We would want to maybe take some of those rates all the way through the field, through some of those different yield zones. And then also then compare that to, you know, un- some untreated checks all the way through the field as well, along with, you know, maybe basing some of those yield zones maybe going from three gallons to five gallons, you know, maybe have a three, four, and five gallon, you know, rates against, you know, maybe say three different yield zones across the field. I You know, if if we had the equipment in place and the planner was capable, I think that could be a really, um, really nice on-farm discovery that, to my knowledge, I don't know that really anybody's thought about variable rate and starter fertilizers.
2: No, I uh, it's the first time I've really, you know, heard of that concept, so I'm kind of intrigued, you know. So I'm thinking about some other, you know, opportunities for, on from discovery outside of the, the rates you were just discussing. And I, I think those are some pretty good ideas, but, uh, we could also maybe throw in some products. You know, I, we talk a lot about this periscope and, uh, I continue to look at it. And then we're also going to be taking a look at some biologicals, you know, like abundance organic, and, uh, that's a new, new product on the market from compass minerals. You know, tell us a little bit about some of these products and kind of what, what kind of trial designs we could potentially be doing.
1: Yeah. So let's just start with, uh, with our PGR offering of, you know, periscope and periscope is what it's going to do is it's going to work within the plant to uh, naturally help regulate uh, different functions. Um, Because if uh, going back to a crop physiology class, there's a lot of different acids, just like within our, you know, humans ourselves, uh, there's acids play different roles within the plant. And so um, the periscope uh, is going to help regulate functions that are going to help turn on key functions to help with germination and stand establishment. So that's the reason why we might want to include a product like PGR within, for the starter fertilizer. And then the, uh, some of the biologicals, um, that we're going to be focusing on, like Craig mentioned, the abundance organic, those are going to help, help, uh, with the soil microorganisms. And then also, uh, with the soil organic matter to just help make a lot more of those nutrients, uh, plant available. Um, that we're applying and then also, you know, what's already supplied within the soil profile. And then um, some other um, things I might think about is uh, some additional fertilizer use efficiency products like a product called Trovec. And that, that's gonna be kind of a mixture of humic and fulvic acids. And those are, again, are gonna work with the soil microorganisms and then the, uh, the organic matter that's already in the soil to uh, make those um, key nutrients more plant available, or at least that's what the hope is.
2: Yeah, I was going to say the jury's still out on some of these products, but yep. uh, uh, we continue. Again, this is the whole premise of the show. I mean, we're we're here to test products and continue to test products, and you I don't always get the results that you want. But uh, that's we're going to give you the the data that we come from your field. So
1: yep, definitely. And then uh, one one key product, or you know, is some maybe think about some, maybe some pesticide applications, key pesticides to go in that starter. So, you know, just like a seed treatment, fungicide and insecticides are a key part of a, uh, of any good seed treatment. And, uh, and the same can be said for a uh, starter fertilizer. So, you know, if, we, if we're in those, uh, you know, say challenging corn on corn um, or no-till situations, you know, maybe, you know, depending on our hybrid selection, we may need an additional insecticide um, for more things other than just the obvious corn rootworm or fungicide. For uh, some of those uh, early season diseases are, would help, you know, ward off some of those early season infections.
2: This is picking up steam, I think, anyway, just because we're moving uh, towards using double pros. And as you mentioned, you know, the corn root worm. But more guys are thinking about putting in insecticide because they are moving to double pros to uh, both eliminate cost of seed, which can help maybe pay off the system for starter if you're wanting to get into it. And then also we're hoping to catch some extra yield gain from those double pros. So I think that plays in really nicely, help validate maybe the cost of the starter. Because, you know, we didn't talk about it, but probably one of the biggest downfalls of doing starters is the cost. Uh, The cost to entry is
1: exorbitant. Yeah, definitely. So anything we can, you know, help offset some of those costs and, you know, to continue and enhance those hybrids or the soybean varieties, you know, by all means, I think we should include it, especially if we're already making a trip across the field. Um, one thing to note, though, if we are going to be considering a fungicide or insecticide is make sure that that formulation of that fungicide or insecticide is going to play well with starter fertilizers because not all products play well with, with fertilizers. So specifically, um, I'm going to give FMC a pat on the bat for producing some of their fungicides and especially their insecticides for being liquid fertilizer uh, ready, hence the name Capture LFR, that it's a special formulation of a well-known insecticide, but it just, it goes well with a starter fertilizer. So, or any fertil- liquid fertilizer for that matter. Good point. So, Eric, you mentioned, you know,
2: the LFR um, come from FMC, and I think, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions on a newer product from FMC. It's Ziway LFR. So again, you know, the liquid fertilizer ready and would fit well in with the starter. And, you know, talk a little bit about that. And then I want to follow that up with some maybe general uh, yield estimates that they're
1: giving on their data. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the Zyway LFR is a, uh, specifically, it's a fungicide that is targeted to be applied through a starter, front, starter fertilizer system. And uh, this fungicide is, is unique that their claims to fame is that it provides season long control and how they're able to do this is that um, the, the product has a, a very long half-life so there it takes a long time for this product to degrade within the plant or you know persistence so that's how they're able to you know kind of provide some of these season-long controls just that you know this product is very persistent within the plant and um and it, we
2: also mentioned that it's pretty mobile within the plant as well and i yeah definitely you know that's where i become a little skeptical on probably i i'm i'm really excited to test this thing because if it does yeah you know, because I think they're advertising, what, 9.7 bushel uh, on their studies. So if we get that kind of, uh, you know, bushels, it, it take out the cost. So that would be roughly just shy of $40, say, uh, on $4 corn. We're looking at like thirty eight eighty or something like that. And then the product is roughly, depending on your your provider, but the product's probably roughly around eighteen dollars, fifteen to eighteen dollars an acre. So you're looking at a net return of around twenty dollars an acre and that's that's pretty good for a trip that's already again going across the field.
1: Yeah, so definitely so anything in my book that, you know, we can enhance any type of application if we're already making a trip, by all means let's let's give it a fair shake and let's let's look at it to increase the bottom line.
2: Well Eric, I've really enjoyed this uh this episode in regards to starter. You know, obviously there's a lot to learn I think on starters, but done a pretty decent job of covering some of the basics of do's and don'ts Yeah, definitely you know and we've highlighted some of the starter products from Marco and from nature's that maybe a person could take a look at and we've covered some of the ROIs that potentially could be expected now obviously we know everybody's getting their products uh, you know at, at their cost so the the ROIs may not be precise to your operation but I think it'll give some ideas um, we've covered some different products to add in. And then, you know, we've covered some on-farm discovery projects. So I think these are things that, uh, you know, if our growers come to us, these are things that we can, you know, accommodate and work with them on. So thanks for joining us on this week's episode on starters. Uh, next week, we're going to keep with the theme. You know, we're, not, we're a little, little ways from planting, you know, with last week's rain event while I was gone there. But uh, we're going to keep with the theme. We're going to talk seed treatments. And then I believe we're gonna have a guest on the show so you guys don't get too bored listening to Eric and I, um, but we'll have him on uh, to discuss, you know, seed treatment options and you know maybe some additional products that you may or may not be aware of beyond the fungicide and insecticide treatments.
0: You've been listening to Field Trials Unleashed. Agronomic trials, products, practices, what makes sense for you and your farm's profitability thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information make sure to like rate and review and we'll be back soon but in the meantime follow craig and eric on twitter at trials unleashed from there you can get agronomic updates and submit questions for future shows see you next time